Hello, Aaron. How are you today? I'm well, Dr. Turner. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. And I want to thank you for this opportunity to share with you. I know how busy you are and how your schedule many times conflates. And uh, so therefore, we want to make sure that we honor the time and respect your schedule. Thank you for this opportunity to interview you. There are some things that have been going on that have uh, very drastically impacted and affected um, those persons, both that are incarcerated and those who are outside uh, of those prison walls, as it were. And because uh, you have some experience with this, share with me a little bit about your background. Um, well, my name is Aaron Castlin. Uh, friends and family call me Akili. Um, I was born and raised in California, in Inglewood, California, to be exact. Um, at the age of 21, I was incarcerated and ended up serving 25 years straight, 17 of those years in solitary confinement. Uh, and I was just, I'm a returning citizen and was released in October of 2019. Okay. Yeah. Please say more. Well, since coming home, um, I've acquired certificates and licenses in abatement. So I'm an abatement specialist. I attended Detroit Training Center to acquire mm -hmm. licenses. So I've been working in that field since coming home and um, I found it rewarding. I found it rewarding in a lot of ways. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now your time incarcerated obviously was rather significant. And you had pointed out that uh, the significant amount of that time your incarceration was in solitary confinement. Yes, sir. Solitary confinement, obviously, is that that uh, limits individuals' ability to uh, see light, air. You know, it, it obviously, it's um, extremely limited to any human contact, uh, as basically you are, in my understanding, you're, you're put in a facility and in an area whereby which 23 out of the 24 hours in the day, uh, you're in that cell and you get out for one hour. Is that the proper understanding? That is, that is the proper understanding. Um, I guess technically it's, it's termed as sensory deprived isolation. So you mm. have limited contact. I think for oh, 10 of those 17 years, I lived in one pod as we call them or housing unit with eight other men. So those were the- okay that I was able to see besides guards for those 10 years. Then I was transferred to another cell. They create actually in California where I'm from, I served my time in Pelican Bay State Prison where I'm from. They actually created a, what we call a SHU, security housing unit or solitary confinement unit within the solitary confinement unit. And what they did was they came up with a campaign called the suppression campaign. This campaign was designed to limit all outside contact by the guard. Yeah. Right. So the only persons we would have contact with were the guards. So at that point, this was in 2009. At that point, they moved us from the general solitary confinement, which is already isolating and and deprivation and a sense of deprivation. And they moved us to a super solitary confinement in which we had absolutely no contact. We couldn't receive mail. Um, we were we were monitored uh, 24 hours a day. So, yeah, your understanding is, is exactly correct. It's it's really. Um, heart-wrenching and devastating, mentally mentally devastating. That, that would seem to be the understatement of the millennium, my <laughs> friend. Uh, uh, I, I can't even begin to imagine how dehumanizing it is from the first perspective. 
And second of all, when you start talking about sensory uh, kinds of limitations, right. what, what do you think is behind that? What is the, I guess, aim of the penal system in engaging in this kind of thing? In, in California, where I served my time, particularly, uh, the idea of staff was to limit persons who had any social, cultural, or um, political influence with other in that California is a very politicized state. And okay. reflect that being a microcosm of the macrocosm, they reflect mm -hmm. that politic. And so you have a general population. I'm an African-American man. Um, so you have a general population of African-American men who are um, going about the business of politicizing other prisoners. Our goal was to turn prisoners from a criminal mentality into a revolutionary or a social mentality. And to, you know, we studied culture, we studied history, and we tried to upgrade and elevate our thought processes into something that was more relevant and could serve our community. And so once the prison staff saw that you were about that mindset, they began the process of isolating you under the guise of gang involvement. Mm -hmm. The way that it works in California is you would be um, accused of some type of gang activity at that point, the staff, they have a special, a special unit of staff called the security, um, called the um, SSU and, or ISU, Institutional Security Unit. And what they mm -hmm. go about the process of what they call validating you. So they find mm -hmm. points of reference, um, contact with other inmates, uh, influence upon inmates and other things to separate you from the general population. So their basic goal was to stop any form of leadership or any form of educating one another. Really, really, I mean, to be honest with you, really their goal is to keep us in a criminal mentality. Mm -hmm. So the, they saw education uh, as a threat to their system, but those that engaged it saw education as really their liberation. So despite the confines of that particular uh, domicile in which they were living, uh, they were able to live beyond that and, and not be limited. Um, by bars and walls. Is that Absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the slogans that the, that the older gentlemen, who I was blessed to be around, uh, used to say quite frequently was we were, we were attempting to turn the cell block into a, into a classroom. Okay. And, and, and turn the penitentiary into a university. Okay. Educate that, to liberate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I could see that. And uh, where most people on the outside of the penal institution uh, would see that as something totally constructive, right. healthy, and beneficial um, for community. Uh, obviously, they interpreted completely the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the reasons why is because one of the first things that you learn is law. And you learn how to keep yourself in the courts of law. So we, we constantly put forth lawsuits to change the rules and regulations to try to defend ourselves against unjust rules within the prison system and also most of our convictions. Okay. Which sure. is a direct threat to a system that, that survives off of recidivism. Right. Convictions, right? The problem right. of prison is inmates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So have inmates who are liberating themselves through education and learning how to defend themselves in the courts of law, that's a threat. That's a threat to your bottom line and your profit margin. Just sure it is. Be transparent. Sure it is. Yeah, and, and nobody wants anyone to mess with their money. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I get that, my friend, indeed. Well, you were experiencing a lot of different 
uh, things that were counterproductive to the development of your own life. Some of these you were conscious and aware of, others you were made aware of as a result of your experiences. Absolutely. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Um, you know, coming home, and it really took me by surprise. I thought I was well prepared to come home. Um, mm -hmm. Coming home, things had, as I stated earlier, initially coming home, I entered Detroit Training Center and began the process of educating myself and getting my license, my state licenses in abatement, and which is lead removal, asbestos removal, and moved into that career. So for the first six months, things were really going well. Um, I was on the surface, um, a success model for a returning citizen. Mm -hmm. But what I wasn't dealing with and what I didn't understand and, and, and really understand how to deal with was internally. Internally, okay. a lot of anxiety, depression. I was having sleep, uh, sleep, sleeping problems, having nightmares. Um, the trauma of prison was reoccurring inside of me as on the surface, I was appearing to be successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the main issues was what, what's euphemistically called the prison mentality. You know, you're, you're hypervigilant 24-7. Okay. And, and so everything feels like a threat. You know, going into sure. a store with the, especially in my case, having been sensory deprived for so long, going into a grocery store with the amount of persons there, or even the amount of choices on the shelves uh, in a grocery store, in the aisles, would cause a huge amount of anxiety and angst. And those mm -hmm. I didn't understand how to deal with. Um, and, and so as a result of that, uh, I found my, I found the, the undercurrent starting to take over the surface life and the anxiety built to a point where I really didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so that transitioned into me learning more about what they now, what I now know is clinically called post-incarceration syndrome, which is an actual mental health condition. Can I ask you to go into that a little bit further for me? Sure. Um, Post-incarceration syndrome, as I understand it, is a mental health condition, and it's, it has a, it's a cluster of five different maladies, one being institutionalized, per, institutionalized personality trait, uh, another being antisocial personality trait, you have substance use disorder, um, PTSD, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with PTSD, and as well, you have social sensory deprivation syndrome, and these mm -hmm. come from the oppressive and depressive a traumatic, often violent prison experience. I see. Yeah, and the way that they manifested in my life is as I was unable to cope with or to understand what I was feeling on the inside and the angst and anxiety, depressions and things that I was feeling, um, I made the fatal mistake of turning to substance use. Okay. Which is one of the mental health- One of the substance use disorder. Um, and it was an, an effort to self-medicate. You know? Sure. From, from my understanding, you know, you go through stages. Um, one of the stages is isolating. So having been having spent so much time in isolation, my response to, to this malady, to, to what I was experiencing on the inside was to isolate myself. And the way I began to do that was I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't mm -hmm. support system. I didn't talk to my loved ones, to my family or my friends about what I was feeling out of fear of, of seeming to be weak, out mm -hmm. of, of not wanting to tarnish or blemish the image of a successful returning citizen. And so what that did is that caused me to really not have an outlet. And if you can imagine a powder keg, that's really what I became. Sure. I, I became a powder keg. 
and the substance use was in an, an effort to try to alleviate that. Sure, sure. It was an escape or at least some form of coping, although it was obviously not wise, the, the decision, but it was a coping mechanism for you. Absolutely. I'm curious, can you tell me, how did you learn about this post-incarceration syndrome? Interestingly enough, um, as I stated, you know, my substance use had gotten to the point where I was unable to cope on a daily basis, and it was mm -hmm. my daily life. So mm -hmm. support of my fiance and my family, I checked myself into Mariners in treatment center for the substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. While in Mariners, I, I checked into and, and attended a 30-day inpatient treatment. And while there, I met a gentleman named George Kane, who was a uh, recovery coach. And he had, as, as, as things work out, he had just started a group on the prison mentality. So attending his group and helping him facilitate that group, once I was released and returned home, I began to do a little research, and that's where I discovered that there was actually a clinical name for what wow. sure. incarceration syndrome. Sure. sure. I, you know, I had never heard of it before. Yeah, um, neither had I. I. I was reading a couple of your articles um, and articles that were written on you and articles that you had shared, and I found it just intriguing because all of this time, and I've been working um, with people, quote unquote, outside of the prison for 50 years plus, and I had never heard this before. And I've, I've had a lot of interaction with inmates going to uh, share different kinds of educational uh, modules with them and component. Right. Uh, but I had never heard of this before and it was right. intriguing to me. Now, what would you suggest um, somebody do if they are suspecting this is what they're experiencing? From my personal experience, Dr. Turner, what I learned, um, first and foremost, you have to talk to someone. That desire to isolate yourself, that desire to protect an image of what you feel like, you know, your, your success should be or, or what be portraying to the world around you um, can, be, can be deadly. And I, and I mean that literally. And I mean oh, I hear you. Um, so my first suggestion and what I found that works for me, and it's the reason why I am suggesting it, is to talk to people. If you have love, you can talk to. And if you don't, one thing that I also have done is I've sought out um, the help of a psychologist. Okay. So I'll have a psychologist who I see once a month, and I also have um, treatment counselors and, uh, you know, the, the love and support of my family, whom I use as my support system. So the first thing, the first thing is to talk to someone and express how you're feeling. Don't mm -hmm. allow the anxiety or the fear of what you feel like you should be um, presenting to the world to override the good common sense to just talk about what's going on with yourself. Sure. You know, you've heard the phrase, fake it until you make it. Right. And it seems like um, in a very, very poor attempt to do that. Uh, people literally are destroying their lives. And absolutely, you, you pointed out this whole thing about isolation. Isolation obviously um, results in devastation. Right. And, and the lives that are destroyed in it are not always necessarily the life of the individual, mm. him or herself, mm. but for those around them. Mm, absolutely. And having said that, what is your relationship like now that you have learned about this and are obviously uh, working to overcome it, uh, but have you found this to be the case that others around you have been adversely affected by this? 
Oh, absolutely, Dr. Turner. I've caused, um, and I and I accept the reality, I have caused a lot of trauma to my relationship with my fiance. Um, you know, up until this point, we had a pristine relationship. You know, the trust was paramount. Um, we, we were open and honest and spoke to each other as partners and equals. And as I went into suffering from the, PC, the PICS, the PICS, mm -hmm. um, prison, prison uh, post-incarceration syndrome, um, my whole demeanor changed. My ability to communicate changed. My ability to be honest. You know, with substance abuse comes lies. Yeah. And, and so I began to cause a lot of trauma to my relationship. So now we're at a point now, and, and through God's grace, of course, that we're able to start to rebuild trust. So we're, you know, we're taking baby steps. And that's one thing that I want people to realize and to understand as I'm experiencing is that you have to allow for the people who love you to heal as well. Sure. And, 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 and that's where we are, you know, okay. fiance is in a healing and, process and, as well. So we're just trying to stay on an even keel with each other and rebuild our trust and our bond. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And do you find that to be awkward or is she pretty supportive and understanding this and uh, then moving with you? And I, I, I like the phraseology, baby steps. Right. Uh, do you find her cooperating with this or is there some hesitancy? What is your uh, feeling about where she is with this? Personally, I'm blessed beyond measure. Um, I have someone who is a thousand percent supportive of me and going through this process with me. Um, in fact, in fact, she's so supportive that we've recently started a website and a um, and an outreach program called Great Change Mending Minds. Say more about that. Right. And through this website, our goal is to just um, make make information accessible about post-incarceration syndrome, about mental health, uh, substance abuse, and just how to live after having served a, a large amount of time or any time, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is we're trying to open the conversation to both sides, the person who was incarcerated and also the family and friends who support sure. the person. Sure. Because one thing that we've noticed is that where there's very little information about post-incarceration syndrome, there's even less, almost no information about how someone in a relationship with someone suffering with post-incarceration syndrome deals with it and supports that person. So um, to answer your question specifically, God is good. I've been blessed beyond measure. I have someone who supports me a thousand percent. That's fantastic. You but, know, not everybody is as blessed. Not everybody yeah. is as fortunate. What do, what do you say to them? Any advice? Absolutely. Find it where you can find it. Like I said earlier, you know, if you have to seek mental health treatment to find the support you need, it's paramount that you find that support. There's nothing more important than being able to talk to other persons, especially someone in a, in, that is a professional about your mental health challenges, because this is a mental health challenge. Sure. And as we know, you know, just recently, I think two or three days ago, there was a shooting in Colorado. And these are all the mental health, mental health crises that we're seeing in our society as a whole. Sure. So it's just another facet of that same crisis. Mm -hmm. so, you know, we have to begin to support one another and find support where we can. So, you know, our website, uh, Breaking Change Many Minds, is up and running so people can log on there. We have a chat room there where if you're feeling um, like you may be suffering from uh, post-incarceration syndrome, if you have a loved one who is incarcerated or assumed to be released or has been released and you want to talk about ways to support them, uh, you can log on and, and chat. Um, so seek out the information. Seek out the Excellent. information. Sure. 
out of this incredible experience, what would you say is the most significant and impactful reality that has happened in your life uh, since coming both to the awareness of this and, and now seeking to help others to overcome this, this challenge in their life? What would your accomplishments be? Wow, wonderful question. Um, you know, while incarcerated, I had written a couple of books. Um, the latest one is titled Who, Who I Am. Uh, and I thought those were great accomplishments. You know, under the circumstances that, that I was incarcerated, I thought those were really huge and great accomplishments. However, what I'm finding now is the ability to be authentic in a world where I feel like I'm an alien is a huge accomplishment for me. The sure. to seek out ways to assist other persons because it helps me. Helping mm -hmm. other people heal actually helps me to heal. So sure. I think the greatest accomplishment is um, being open to the process, being open. Okay. And, and I've learned now to accept the fact that, hey, I have a mental health challenge. And that mm -hmm. mental health challenge is really part and parcel of my testimony and it's to be expected. So I'm not, you know, I've gotten rid of the shame. I've gotten rid of the, the angst about even speaking about this issue. And so mm -hmm. um, that in itself was a huge challenge. Sure, I could see that. In fact, that out of all of the things that you've experienced, it would seem like to me that that would be one of the greatest things that uh, anybody else going through this could ever accomplish. Wow. I think that that, uh, because when you start talking about authentic being, Mm -hmm. and, and to get there, obviously, it, it takes a great deal of transparency, mm -hmm. courage. Um, and not everybody has that kind of courage. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I appreciate your suggesting uh, ways that people might be able to seek the kind of help um, in order to get to where you are. You're in a pretty wonderful spot right now in your life. And it feels that way. It really yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's evident to me. Well, what would you say in, in closing to somebody that really just does not quite get it? They've been incarcerated. They've gone through this. And because of the uh, psychological presets that have been mm -hmm. uh, made in their lives, they don't see uh, nothing wrong with post-incarcerated syndrome, mm. just a way of their life. Mm. Um, what could you say to them? Life is greater on the other side. Okay. Life is greater on the other side. Um, filling yourself with the knowledge of what you're suffering with or suffering through. We don't have to suffer. You know, being incarcerated, you're made to believe that you're a, a never-do-well. You're made to believe that you're, you're supposed to suffer. You're not supposed to have a happy, good, blessed life. And it's just not true. Life is a blessing and every day, every day gets better. So seek out, seek out someone to talk to. Like I say, our website is up and running. People can go on there and chat. Uh, we have stories and articles and information people can tap into. And I'm sure you'll find me there. So I'm here if anybody wants to talk. I can't begin to express to you how grateful I am for you having taken this amount of time to share with me uh, I've learned a great deal about this uh, from you, and I know that there literally are thousands of people out there that could be liberated 
from their own uh, psychological madness that's associated with this and the maledictive behaviors that subsequently derive from it. And so I wanna thank you for uh, sharing with us. And I also want to express to you how uh, happy I am to know where you are. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Dr. Turner. Right, absolutely, uh, thank you again. And if you don't mind me saying, it's a, a great honor and huge pleasure just to have this opportunity to speak with you. Um, I'm a huge admirer of yours and I look forward to us continuing this relationship. Thank you so much. It's mutual. You have a wonderful day and a joyous life, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye.